This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell for the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Candice Fox, welcome to Better Reading. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, so this is uh, the new world for us. We are recording this podcast remotely. So Candice is somewhere else and I'm somewhere else. Um, and I'm really um, I'm really struggling a little bit without the face-to-face um, contact. But yeah. we're going to do well and we're going to get through this because this is our new world, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, um, this is the writer's world where you don't get to see anyone. <laughs> and uh, seeing people is a novelty. And uh, yeah. you know, you're used to it, right? Yeah, this is how I live. You yeah. know, I'm sitting in a room talking about myself, worrying about my future, nice <laughs> and anxious, you know, twiddling my thumbs, thinking, what am I going to do with myself? Should I have a nap? Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure your life is so easy being a writer, yeah. having an eight month old baby, and just moving house. Now, let yeah. me introduce you. Um, Candace is a wonderful writer. Her first book, uh, Hades, won the Ned Kelly Award for Best Debut in 2014 from the Australian Crime Writers Association. The sequel, Eden, won the Ned Kelly Award for the Best Crime Novel in 2015, making Candace only the second author to win those accolades back-to-back. All her subsequent novels, Fall, Crimson, Lake, Redemption Point and Gone by Midnight, have been shortlisted for the Ned Kelly Award. In 2015, Candace began collaborating with James Patterson, and we're going to talk about how that happened. Their first novel together, Never Never, set in the vast Australian outback, was a huge bestseller in Australia and went straight to number one on the New York Times bestseller list. Um, She also is on top of the charts in the UK. Uh, Their subsequent novels, 50-50, Liar Liar and Hush Hush, have all been massive bestsellers across the world. As a matter of fact, I think Bill Clinton is a fan. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, Bill's a big fan of mine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then yeah. they've got a, had a recent collaboration called The Inn, which was released last year. Uh, Candace was born in Bankstown, um, born and bred in Bankstown and lives in Sydney. But we're here to talk about your brand new book called Gathering Dark, which is what? Out this week. Yes, it came out on the 31st. So it's been out for a couple of days now. Yeah, well, congratulations. Do you know Thank there's you. somebody online, so many people online reading it already. So mm-hmm. obviously um, uh, the lack of access to uh, bookshops hasn't stopped people, hasn't deterred people from going out to get it. Um, now, talk to me. I want to first talk for those of you, and we've, we've, talk, we've, had, we've recorded podcasts before, but just mm-hmm. a little bit about how you came to writing. Well, you know, I had a really weird childhood. Uh, that was my mum's fault. She was a bit obsessed with um, being a rescuer uh, of, of, of 
of people and animals and things. She uh, she had four kids of her own and then she adopted two and then she fostered 155 kids as I was growing up. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I lived in quite a chaotic childhood home and, um, you know, I think on a psychological level I was trying to find something to do with myself where I could be the boss you know and and everything was predictable and I had a sense of control so I found writing uh, appeal to me in that way um so I started writing and uh, getting quite serious about it by you know my mid-teens and then um I started submitting work when I was you know sort of 18 and uh, I had four failed novels and a uh, hundred and uh, no four failed novels and over two hundred rejection letters before I wrote my fifth novel, and that got me through, got me published for the first time at age twenty-five. You know that's extraordinary, isn't it? Because people can be really thrown by rejection, and mm. having what two hundred rejection letters? I mean, that's resilience, right? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I just don't like to be told no. And I, I don't like to, to be told I can't do something, particularly if it's like, oh, you can't join our club because you're not good enough. I think I'll show you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How was your first novel published? Tell me how that came about. Uh, it was an interesting sort of case because my very first book deal ever, technically, was um, it was for Hades and it was actually an independent publisher in the Isle of Man of all places. I had to Google where that was at the time. And uh, that, that guy had the book for 18 months um, and, he, you know, we'd edited it and all this sort of stuff and they were just about to get a cover and all that kind of exciting stuff and then he just ran out of money. Oh. And I know, I was so devastated. Oh. I was going through a huge breakup at the time too and I just... I was getting so much sympathy for the breakup that I I just thought I can't lay this on people as well, that I've just lost my book deal as well. So I actually didn't tell anyone. And then uh, uh, I was fishing around for an agent and I found my agent, Gabby Mayer, and um, she, you know, she sort of said to me, oh, can we meet for coffee? And I thought, oh, this will be good you know, because they meet you for coffee to find out if you're a weirdo or not. Absolutely. And whether you're presentable. Yeah. I know. And I thought I'm in so much trouble. And she was like, oh, you got to come to Bronte. And I was like, oh, man, what does a person even wear to Bronte? You know, like it's so posh. I'm from Bankstown and, you know, and, and this kind of thing. And I met her and... um the meeting was quite extraordinary um, because I'd had the breakup. I was dating everything that moved in Sydney and I was really super nervous. And so she said to me, oh, you know, what's your life like at the moment? And I said, oh, I'm going on all these dates. And she was like, you know, how's that, how's that going for you? Just curious. And I said, you know, I go on these dates and it's like a surprise date. And she goes, what do you mean? And I said, well, I went to a date the other day and surprise, the guy just has no teeth at all oh that's a real surprise yeah yeah like none like no dentures i think you've told me before that um (laughs) on how many dates before you met your husband yeah like 50 or something probably and you went to every single one oh yeah and i stayed for an hour and a half at uh, my limit i'd say is an hour and a half you know so i did stay with the guy with no teeth for for an hour and a half i think that's really generous oh thanks well you know maybe it's just avoiding the awkward 
sort of, you know, the bravery required to say, look, this is just isn't going to work. But anyway, I told, I told Gabby about her. I, I, when I very first met her, I told her about that. And then I left the meeting and I, I said to myself, oh my God, why did you say that? But you know, the rest is history. She took me on as a client. So <laughs> she's, uh, she's a great agent, isn't she? She's a wonderful woman as well. You know, yeah. we've been together as client and agent now for like seven years or something across I'm about to start my 15th book and she's just such a, an asset. She's a lovely person, a lovely friend and a, a wonderful agent. She knows what she's doing. Yeah, she um, does. Yeah. So, yeah. After all those rejections, how did it feel to finally be published? Or was it like, oh, yeah, I knew this was coming? <laughs> no way. No oh, you know, it was just... It was just insane. And I think I was numb to it uh, for a long time and also waiting for it to fall through because, of course, it had fallen through with the Isle of Man guy. Yes. And they, yeah. they're saying to me, you know, sign this piece of paper and take this money and in a year, it was a year lead up, uh, you will have a book on shelves. And it was just so sort of abstract. So immediately I did the things that I always thought I would do. Like I totally just burst into tears and, yeah. uh, you know, I got rotten stinking drunk um, in celebration. And the people in my street uh, sort of got together and had an impromptu street party. <laughs> and then uh, it was funny because I, t- I said, I told Gabby, I said, oh, we're having a street party. Like, do you want to come? Like as a kind of a joke. I didn't know her that well. And then she turned up and she <gasps> came and I was like, oh, this is my agent. You know, we're in Maroubra <laughs> Junction, which is nothing like, nothing like Bronte, oh, God. But, um, you know, and, and that was a wonderful thing. And But then, yeah, so I had to wait a year. So for a year I'm thinking, oh, my God, publishers, publishing house is going to burn down. Uh, or you know, Gabby's well, going to hit by a bus. Or you, you went know. with Penguin Random House. It's hardly that they're going. Well, it would have been Random House at the time, but hardly yeah. that they're going to go down. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I didn't know. I didn't know anything about it. I was such a novice. So then it was finally. I saw my book for the first time in um, Kmart. I think Big W. No, it was Big W. I went into Big W and I saw it there. And, and I, there was a woman just standing there by herself, kind of uh, minding her own business. And I went over and I hassled her into buying it. So <laughs> I thought, I, I need every <laughs> sale I could possibly get. She's like, this is my book, this is my book. I yeah. want to go back to your upbringing and, you know, you know, you talk about your mother and the love she had of caring for children and you, your perception of it is crazy. But as yeah. a parent, has that changed as a new parent? Because tell me about that. You've got a little girl. Yes, I do have a little girl, Violet. She is such a delight. She's the funniest kid. It's really weird, you know. It's like such a coincidence. I happen to have the most wonderful child in the entire world. She's the cutest and the cleverest and the funniest (laughs) (laughs) Um, kid, you know, so everyone else must be a bit jealous. Um, Yes, of course. (laughs) She's so funny. But uh, and everything about her has been funny, you know, like when I had her, I I, I had preeclampsia so I couldn't have an epidural which, you know, it's funny now. It wasn't real funny at the time. When I, oh, I 10 imagine. minutes into labour, I said, I'll have my epidural, please. Uh, and they said, no. And I said, what? 
Um, and then I was so keen to find out is she a boy or a girl. The whole pregnancy, I was like, is it a boy, is it a girl? I'm hanging out. Oh, tomorrow. so you didn't find out. I didn't find out. And then at that moment, I was like, this is the end of the nine-month journey. I'm finally going to find out. And as soon as she came out, I said, I was staring at the ceiling. I hadn't seen her at all. I said, what is it? What is it? What is it? And there's 20 people in the room. Mm. And um, and then the midwife grabbed her and turned her around and thrust her at my face, like oh. vagina first. <laughs> her vagina was five inches from my face. And the midwife goes, look for yourself. And so oh. the, first, the first thing I ever saw of my tiny little baby, like I had this moment of seeing her face for the first time and I'm going to bond with her and all that kind of stuff. And then here comes comes a little <laughs> vagina and I was so shocked by the birth it had been so traumatic and everything that I looked and I was like well I don't I don't know which one that is which one is that oh, what am I looking at here I can't <laughs> someone just answer the question what is <laughs> you know um so yeah everything about her has been funny um, yeah. But has it has it made me understand my mother more uh, maybe in a certain sense yeah because I think I think my mum was uh, Andy's uh, baby addicted and I totally get uh, how loving her could form into an addiction yeah. because she's so yummy and lovely and helpless and snuggly and being around her is such a joy, you know, to see it's her. It's a different kind of love, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. It's all consuming. It's very, it is. It's very um, sort of physical and I can understand like yearning and stuff because I've never really understood what that means before, like to have like a mother's yearning. But then, you know, I go up the street and I've been up the street 15 minutes without her and I'm like, I want my baby. Yeah. <laughs> Where is my baby? I yearn for her when I'm not around her. Yeah. So I, I think my mum just couldn't get enough of babies being around her. Um, and, and you her. know, even in terms of adoption, um, I remember this friend of mine, um, and this is going back a few years, she adopted a little, a lovely little girl from the Philippines. And mm. I remember the first time I saw her with that little girl, she was two and mm. she couldn't stop kissing and cuddling her. And mm. she had that attachment that naively I thought only a biological parent can have. Mm, and mm. I, I, there is something between, it's like with dogs, you know, dogs are attached to their owners straight away. Like there is some kind of physical and emotional bond instantly, isn't there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there is. Yeah. And I, I love things like if I've got to wake her up for some reason, which isn't often, yeah. <laughs> and I go in there and I, I just, you know, nudge her a little bit and then she wakes up and sees me and smiles like, oh, oh it's you. And I'm yeah. like, it's you. Oh, I love you. you know? uh, isn't that beautiful? Yeah. How has that, do you think being a parent has changed your work, your writing? Um, yeah. I mean, when I wrote Gathering Dark, um, I'd, I'd, I just, uh, I wrote some of it while I was pregnant and I kind of, um, wrote, I finished it. I actually finished it three days before she was born. She gave me three days off. Yeah. And, uh, Isn't she and I, <laughs> she's, she's a lovely kid. Thank you very much. Yes. Yeah. And I, I edited it while, um, 
you know, she was sort of very, very young. And um, it's, it's a very emotional book in a motherly kind of way because there's this mother that, that goes to jail and um, her baby is taken away from her and the, the kids Which tend now. Mm, mm, yes, yes. I just can't imagine it. Well, I think that's double punishment, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and she's sort of, she's out of prison now, Blair is her name, and she's trying to make good in her life and she's got this 10-year-old kid who she hardly knows, you know, but she's like, I'm your mum and, and I have all these sort of, she has all these dreams that one day that he will call her mum and when he when he does actually call her mum, it's so emotional, this kind of thing. And, you know, so, yes, it has made me more emotional. It's also things like, you know, I was thinking about, killers and and that kind of thing and I was thinking that there as you do when you're a crime writer (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly I think about them a lot and um I was thinking there's two things that you don't want your kid to end up like the two things that are just the worst for your kid to end up one of them is a murder victim and one of them is a murderer you know and one is obviously better than the other because if your kid ends up being a killer at least you can speak to them and you know afterwards you can try to understand them and that kind of stuff. Um, but if your child is a murder victim, then, you know, that's just about the worst thing, um, it's over. I think. Yeah. yeah. I don't know how people ever recover from that. No, no, neither do I. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. A couple of weeks ago, I went and I visited Mac, uh, Lithgow Maximum Security Prison because I, I needed to do some research. So I, I wrote to Corrections New South Wales and I said, can I have a tour of one of your prisons? And they said, yeah, no props. Um, and so I went uh, and I, I came through the prison and, um, you know, the governor, who's like a warden, um, yeah. pointed to this pen full of men and they were all standing in there and she said, those are our special protection guys. So they are, you know, rapists and child molesters and, you know, killers of women. You know, that's them over there. And, and I were watched, they in a pen uh, all together? They were all together, yeah. Because they there's, there's three levels of protection. There's guys who um, are protected because of their crime, you know, and other inmates will try to kill them and killing them is sort of a badge of honour. Um, so they're the, the child molesters and rapists and, and people who have killed women. Uh, and then there are guys who are protected because they are ex-gang members or ex-bikies or they've rolled over on someone or they owe a lot of money, perhaps. Yeah. 
And then there are the, the other level is like your celebrity type, um, you know, inmates who, uh, you know, will be targeted for a certain reason or, you know, they're terrorists um, and, and they might try to recruit other um, people into their terroristic sort of uh, goals. But I looked at this pen full of guys. And how many would have been in there? Well, I'd say 20 you know, 20 or 30, they're just all sort of sitting around on tables and things and pacing. There's lots of pacing up and down, up and down, up and down, oh. you know, mm. along the wire because that's like a psychological phenomenon is the pacing. I asked the governor about it and she said, yeah, it's like the same as tigers or whatever. It's just pacing. And I looked at them and I thought every single guy in there is someone's kid, you know, and every single one of them has a victim who's also someone's kid. And some of these guys were very young looking, you know, maybe 18 or 19, very fresh faces and, and that kind of thing. And I looked at them and I thought, wow, imagine if, if your kid was in here and, and you had to come and visit him, you know, behind glass or in a special uh, visiting room. Do you, and this think, kind of do you think the bond is still there when your child has committed such a heinous crime? Oh, it must, it must be, you know, um, if Violet, I think that if Violet did something, you know, hideously awful like that, they would still, I still have my love for her. She's my child. And, and from the moment I knew that she was there, it's like my whole life changed. Like they say, people say to you, oh, your whole life will change. Yeah, it, it's true. Yeah. Um, and and when I went and visited a serial killer on uh, death row, I did that a uh, couple of years ago. I went and visited Lawrence Bittaker in San Quentin. And at that point, I thought to myself, you know, if he hurts me, whatever, I, it, I don't have that much to lose. Like my husband has someone to lose, obviously. We're in a marriage and my family and that kind of thing. But if anything happens to me now then Violet has lost her mum and that's yeah. different at the whole other level, you know. And so my, my job is not dangerous, but I do get weird things happen. You know, people write to me, some dangerous-sounding people write to me every now and then. They say, oh, Candace, i got a tip on, you know, uh, this murder or, um, you know, the police accuse me of murder or whatever and they want to talk to me about it. Or I get people who are not stalker level but they're sort of creepy Yeah. Um, and they write to me or they try to find out where I live or they try to find out who I'm married to and all this kind of thing. And so there's a whole other level of worry about that now because it's not just me that's involved and not just me and my husband who's so violent. Yeah, yeah. I've noticed on social media that you don't post any photos of her at all. No, no. no. I just think it's not fair to her. Yeah. Um, that's my belief in it because people put their kids on social media and, you know, go for your life or whatever. But I want to give her the choice of saying, you know, I will put myself on social media or I will not at the time that she's sort of responsible enough to um, make that decision. And also, uh, you know, with facial recognition and stuff like that, um, having 10,000 photos of her on the internet before she's even 16 years old means that 
that you know there's that level of searchability of her you know and and that kind of thing i just think it's easier it's easier you know just with being a, a public figure i am a public figure yeah. Um, talk to me about how you're feeling as a parent um, with the pandemic that we're in now. I mean, it is really once in a lifetime for a lot of people. Mm. Um, I'm struggling with it. I'm struggling with the solitude and I'm struggling with the isolation. Yeah. Uh, and I wonder, I wonder how families are coping. And w- w- do you think that she's missing out? Um, you know, we will walk around the block. And that's pretty novel for um, Violet still. And uh, and she is still seeing her grandparents. That's something that I really hope we can continue, you know, because her, par- her grandparents are really only seeing us and we're seeing them. And so yeah. we're sort of in So you're both in the same sort of, bubble. Yeah, we're in the same bubble. But yeah. I wonder if it's going. that's going to change because her... Um, my mother-in-law is immunity compromised yeah. and um, and my own parents have to do a bit of travel to get to our house, you know. Yeah. I don't want them to get pulled up by the cops, you know, saying, where are you going, whatever. Um, so I really don't want her to miss out on that. So I hope things change before then. You know, as a, ha- as a household, Tim works from home and I work from home and we've got Violet and Noggy, Eggnog, the dog, and um, we're yeah, we're things are running still running in a routine here, yeah. and uh, yeah, I've I've dealt with the isolation thing for a very long time, so I'm kind of more used to it than someone like you. And do you think? I mean, how is it going to affect story in the future? I mean, I've been thinking about that a lot. There's been you know mm. a, a lot of the bookstores, uh, your local bookstores stores are struggling, and and they're running support programs, and rightly so, and. You know, mm. I'm impressed with the innovation that they've come up with. You know, they're doing mm. they're closing their doors, but they're still selling, and they you can yeah. ring them and they'll do a home delivery, and it's just mm. fantastic because people do need to be reading for so many reasons during this time. Mm-hmm. But do mm. you think that's going to affect the future of storytelling? It could, it could, you know, because I think that um, it makes people realise. Uh, you know, it, it makes it makes people focus on their home life a little bit more. I think mm. not, you know, not in my household, but people are sort of uh, doing weird things. Like are you hearing that people are stress baking and 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 doing things, finding things to do at home that never never done before. They're taking up knitting, they're taking up crochet, they're learning things online. You know, and I think that's kind of a, a good thing. Uh, so I think you might see a groundswell of people writing about the home um, as a setting for things in the in the near future. And also, it's kind of easier to imagine a sort of apocalyptic kind of uh, scenario now because I've always sort of thought to myself, "Oh, what would it look like if the streets were empty?" and there's no one on the road and, and this kind of thing. And you go, oh, this is what it looks like. <laughs> and, it is what um, it looks like, right? It's out. Yeah. It's just it's no one little, out there. Yeah. I know. It's the little details, little tiny details like Tim and I are in the car and the little um, panel on the radio that usually says what the song is. We listen to Smooth FM in the car. And um, <laughs> it said instead of saying, you know, 
Ronan Keating or whatever the song was, it said, wash your hands and stay away from other people, you know, and I thought, oh, the radio stations obviously put that out and I didn't know that they could do that, that they could get inside my car and do that. So It's extraordinary. I do worry about um, police powers, but that's something we'll have to um, sort out later on, Mm. don't you think? Yeah. Does that worry you? Um. You know, I'm one of those weird people who likes the police. <laughs> and whenever they've, whenever they've, whenever I've ever had an interaction with a police officer, even when they've been mean to me or whatever, um, I've found it to be kind of all right. Um, you know, people say, "Oh, I hate how they bully you," or they they're really conscientious and they pick on the little things or whatever. I've never really found that. And uh, you know, when I was single, I dated a few cops. So, um, you know, I found them to be kind of emotionally, completely emotionally unavailable. Um, but I also heard some of the horrible stories and things that they have to deal with. And uh, they I, say I used a to, lot. Yeah, they say a lot. And just I used to live near King's Cross and I worked in a tattoo shop in King's Cross for a while. And so I have seen some of the things that they deal with just on a daily, daily basis, you know. I I said to a cop once, I just ran into him in the street and we were having a chat and I said, what's the strangest thing that's happened to you this week? And I, I, I asked that as a writer, I like to ask that of people, what is the strangest thing you've ever, this or that? And um, he said, well... We had this homeless person um, who was going around abusing people and we didn't want him to do that, so we tried to take him into custody and he climbed up a tree and he did a poop in his hand and he threw it at us. Oh, so dear. Said, okay, wow. 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 You know, and that's, that's not the kind of thing that makes the headlines, but it is the kind of thing that police have to deal with every day you know that, that weird stuff to, to be able to do a poop on demand that's impressive isn't it <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> oh, well, that's a great note to, um, yeah. to end on poops um, <laughs> why not gathering gathering dark um is candace's new books book new book um congratulations again candace um thank, thank you so you, much thank you so much for speaking with us today If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere. Or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBookstore. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.